Before we start, this episode contains a lot of chat you might find difficult to hear. So do check the show notes for more details. Hello and welcome to Happy Place. I'm Fern Cotton and today I'm chatting to Roman Kemp. Be the hero to your friend, you, you know, that I, I wasn't, right? And what I mean by that is your friends are the best at wearing their mask. Can you go to bed at night safely saying, I know exactly how that person is feeling? Because what happens is the people that end up taking their own life is it's the people, it's constant. All I kept hearing through this whole thing was, oh, it's the last person you'd expect, last person you'd expect. When does the person that you last expect become the person that you most expect? You probably know Roman as the brilliant host of the Capital Breakfast Show. His job is all about being super energetic and fun to help wake the country up in the morning which he does absolutely brilliantly. But in 2020, his producer and best friend, Joe, died suddenly by suicide. And Roman made the incredibly powerful decision to share his ongoing grief with the nation. He made a documentary called Roman Kemp, Our Silent Emergency. And now he's written a book, Are You Really OK?, both of which saw him talking about the fact that he himself came close to attempting suicide after living with depression since he was a teenager. Roman actually hadn't seen a copy of his book yet when he came round to my house a couple of weeks ago, so I got to show him his own book, which was bizarre and wonderful. I just loved this chat with Roman and... Oh, I've been thinking about a lot of what he said since and how I might implement big conversations at home. It is a tough listen at times, but there are so many vital and hopefully very empowering things we can all take away from it. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Okay, here it is. Here's the show. Hello, Roman. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I, I asked to be on this podcast. Yeah. No. I, this was not a promotional thing from my oh, book company. I'm so it was. Glad. I genuinely said I would love to do it. Well, I'm so glad, and I think it is. It's just all aligned quite perfectly because I think we're both on a similar path, wanting yeah. to do a similar thing for very personal reasons. Of course. And it's very important. So I'm so glad that you want to be here. That makes my job easier. Yeah, sure. definitely. <laughs> definitely. And I want to start by asking, are you really okay? Is the question that I need to ask you. Uh, I don't think, you know, anyone that's that's been through any form of trauma, I don't think you can ever really be okay. I think I think you learn how to deal with it better every day. And you learn about little things that can help you, you know. And, and that's, the, that's one of the main things that I... I kind of set out to learn from when I was like 15, understanding that, you know, it's not going to be like a quick fix of like understanding depression and getting over it. It's more so that thing of what tools can I use and when should I use them? And sometimes you get caught out by it. You know, I'm nearly 30 years old. It's been what 15 years since that conversation happened with me. And I'll still have days where I just feel like, you know, there's there's a cloud over you and you can't get out of that. So I think... In terms of me answering that question of am I really okay? Yeah, in, in terms of day-to-day, -day, yeah, great. But in terms of long-term, I'm getting there. Yeah. And it's an interesting place to find yourself in having that acceptance of you don't have to aim for this like no. euphoric, amazing place where everything's okay. There's, yeah. there's acceptance and there's 
levels of understanding that it will be undulating and like mm. you said day to day you'll feel great one day shit the next day yeah. and long term there's bigger challenges that take more work for sure i think i think you know you know this like there's an expectation i think in in our job and in our world to to be that larger than life character all the time and like even how i'm speaking to you now like this is me like this is how i talk uh, in real life you know when i'm when i'm on the radio it, it changes all the time i don't i don't necessarily have a certain radio voices there are days where i go in there and i'm super super happy and you know i'm having a great day but there's other days where it's just shit and mm. like you know i've been able to build that relationship luckily you know luckily build that relationship with the general public whereby they've seen me at complete lowest yeah well because we all wear masks in different scenarios in life where we don't feel we can completely be ourselves. And I think work's a really good example. No matter what you do, no matter what your job, you usually walk in there not quite yourself with a bit of a barrier up or like a suit of armour just to kind of go, oh, I'm in work mode or whatever it is that you're doing. And I guess there's been this very interesting breakdown of that for you in the last couple of years. One of the reasons and one of the main reasons why you wrote this book, Are You OK?, is that you lost your very good friend and radio producer, Joe, who took his own life. And that happened whilst you were in the middle of one of your radio shows. So you've had this experience with your listeners along with you throughout this whole very traumatic time. So you can't go on the radio and be Mr. Happy because you're going through something unthinkable collectively. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, that was, again, you know, I felt a responsibility to, you know, I remember Joe passed away on the Tuesday. That happened on the Tuesday show. And I was back on air on the Monday. You know, we're not when I lost Joe. Like, you know, I can't describe, that was something that was more than than just my producer that's someone that I was out every night with you know holidays with you know double dating with everything you know and uh, you know and you know what it's like in a radio studio like your relationship with your producer you it's just you two in there yeah, creating for hours yeah creating yeah. you know and and you know even now I I go into that radio studio and I think about it and it's it's weird you know I'm in that same room every day where I was with him every day and also I'm in that same room where I got that news every day you know a lot i think a lot of people they would have got up and moved house if that happened like in your house and you heard that news you get that same feeling every time you get it but again that that trauma is so real and i think you know joe's mum summed it up so best because i remember so many times people saying to me you know when it came to it, i was like i can't just sit and feel like i know the reality of suicide and not do anything about it and show people what this is like because it was so bad like i hated him i actually hated him and i was like i was like well, this is why we're going to make the doc and you know you feel helpless in those scenarios you feel like you, you, what can you do and so i made that doc again because I, I wanted to take people on that journey and for them to be able to see what it's like what you're doing to someone by taking your life you know and and, and if anything kind of calling them out on it a little bit one of the most dangerous things that is always a conversation, especially around things like suicide, is around, you know, is it selfish? You know, that that's the thing that so many people are like, oh, you, you can't say it's selfish, you can't say it's this. I completely agree. I don't I don't think it is a selfish thing because I don't think someone's in that mindset no. at all. Uh, I, I think it's a blur. I've been in that point where you don't even remember it. You, don't, you can't make sense of what's going on. However, what you can do is you can highlight the impact of what it has afterwards. And I think Joe's mum sums it up best in the doc. She she touches on that that point, you know, and she says, you know, it, it's not selfish, but whatever pain you think you're leaving with doesn't leave. It just transfers to those yeah. around you. And as long as you have an understanding of that, it that will affect your decision, yeah. I believe. Well, that's why this book, and I've said this to you already, is so powerful because you're so honest about the complexities of... Mm grief but very specifically when it comes to suicide in the fact that it's not straight up sadness you've got like you said there mm. hatred anger confusion how have you navigated that I mean there's guilt in the mix as well it, it's yeah. not straight up grief where you just feel absolutely bereft mm. it's there's this burning anger that you talk about in the book yeah like again you know with the book I, I, I wanted to be able to do something it, it, look I, I didn't want to make it all 
sad, but I just wanted explanations as to why my thought process works in a certain way. And that's why I, you know, I want to be able to speak about certain moments in my life and how they've affected me, the type of upbringing I've had so that this is why I deal with grief in this way. You know, my mum's very open, my dad's quite closed, but you know, this is how I dealt with it. I had never experienced really grief in my life. Like a lot, the only time I've ever really had it was I lost both my grandparents in the space of like 24 hours, which was weird. You know, I lost another friend to a car crash, but it was never like, never like this. You know, this is full on trauma. And I think understanding grief was harder than accepting that he's not coming back, you know? And like you say, it's that thing of, and that's what I wanted to hopefully you know portraying this there's a lot of people that get left behind when it comes to suicide and it's an understanding of it's okay to feel like that you know it's okay to to hate that person it's okay to get up in the morning and swear at that person and you know question it you know but it's also okay to to feel that guilt and and understand that it's normal uh, it's how your brain's going to move the situation whilst it tries to compute it mm. but the fact of the matter is you never will compute it not, not one suicide is ever the same as the next i'm fully aware that you know joe took his life and it was his own accord i'm fully aware of that however i will never lose the guilt that i lived five minutes away and if i had just questioned one thing if i had been a friend that had pushed and said something's not quite right I, I'm, I need to call or if I had known really what was going on I think I could have stopped it do you really 100% 100% uh, uh, but I never asked that question to him because his mask was so fucking good well this is it you you didn't suspect a thing you didn't expect a thing but but that's why I, my journey in this is I am not and, and that's why you know it says it there at the top of the book be the hero to your friend you, you know that I, I wasn't right and what I mean by that is your friends are the best at wearing their mask. Can you go to bed at night safely saying, I know exactly how that person is feeling? Because what happens is the people that end up taking their own life is it's the people, it's constant. All I kept hearing through this whole thing was, oh, it's the last person you'd expect, last person you'd expect. When does the person that you last expect become the person that you most expect? And the only way you do that is by questioning. You know, and, and, and can you safely walk back and go, you know, and I, I had the chance to, to speak at your your festival recently. And I said it there and I do it at a lot of the talks. And I say, I want you to pick three. Every time I leave a talk, I say, I want you to pick three people in your phone book that you genuinely believe are absolutely fine. Mm. Like the people that are like life and soul of the party. They're the ones that are using their mask the best. Those are the people. Text them. Are you okay? Do that twice. Okay, rule. Find you know. Ask it first at the beginning of the book of the beginning of the text. Sorry, and then again at the end of the text. And I guarantee that you will find out at least one thing of those people that you weren't aware of, and they were they were waiting for someone to ask them about it. Mm. And that that's the, that's the kind of mission that I feel like me personally I'm on. And, and I guess it's. Sadly, still the sort of stereotype is in place that men are less likely to reach out to a friend if they're feeling awful. And we know that from yeah. the horrific statistics that we can still easily Google today that yeah. suicide is the biggest killer in men under 40, yep. disproportionately. And I know that you explore that in the book and that the work you're doing. There's no definitive answer. There's certainly factors. But one of them, sadly, is this sort of generalised idea that men can't reach out for help. and that There's a slight discomfort in having a very deep conversation. And yeah. you, know, you even talk about a chat that you had uh, in your own sort of mental health story, talking to an old, a childhood friend, Charlie, yeah. about your own mental health for the first time. How did you feel entering into that conversation? Do you remember broaching that subject and how it felt? Yeah, uh, I, I I remember the first, you know, it's the number one thing that I'll always speak to. When a, parent, a lot of parents ask me about, you know, speaking to to their kids about mental health and, and, and how they do it. And my mom, I use the same thing that my mum used to do to me, which was in the car guys don't want to look face to face and have those conversations if you can approach that conversation in a car or on a walk or on something like that they're not looking at you and 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 i remember being sat and i remember i'd just been uh, kind of diagnosed properly and and uh, being on my antidepressants and i remember being in the car with charlie and i remember then all of a sudden just starting to talk about it and you know being like you know i went to the doctor the other day and i've got to take these tablets you know and the fact that i think neither of us were looking at each other 
and all of a sudden you turn the music off and, and you're just having this chat, you know, and he's opening up and I'm opening up. And, you know, that gave me a bond with, with him that, you know, I've, again, you know, I've got basically like three of my best mates and they're like my brothers, you know, I didn't have any brothers growing up and that's them. But I do think it's, it's hard. It, it, it's really hard to approach any form of conversation uh, or open up a conversation. That first conversation that I had, I'm lucky. I feel like I approached it because my mum was so open with me. You know, this book is as much about how my mum's an amazing person for me, you know, uh, and that's that's kind of something that I hope that a lot of women can can take from it. You know, again, I, I can only ever talk from a from a male perspective because I know the male side of it. You know, I know how it feels to be a guy and, and suffering with those types of thoughts. However, it's still huge everywhere. It's not, you know, I remember being with, with the Nottingham Street Triage team that, you know, where a police officer and a mental health expert will go out to a mental health emergency. So one person can assess the situation, the other person can actively speak to the person in danger. 90% of the calls that they get on a daily basis are female. Mm. Only 10% are male. Unfortunately, there are reasons as to why men seem to take their life yeah. more so than women, whether that be by method or whatever. But it's just as bad in women. You know, it's it's this is a normal thing that, yeah. to, to deal with. You know, I, the thing I find so strange is is the lack of the use of the word suicide. There's a definite, um, it feels treacherous to go into that territory, I think, a lot, doesn't it? And Weird. I know, and you're, and you're blowing that one open. You're like, let's say the word out loud. Yeah. Let's, let's, and let's talk about, the, like you said, the reality of the fallout for the people left behind. Let's talk yeah. about the complex emotions. Let's talk mm. about, you know, we know all these awful statistics. Let's look at the whys. And maybe they'll lead to the then, what do we do next? That's a yeah. massive thing that obviously many people are trying to do and I'm doing it in my own tiny way, you're doing it. You know, yeah. it's it's so, so tricky to get your head around. What do we change? What could be better for people who are feeling desperate? Because another awful stat that you put in the book is one in five people think about taking their life. Yeah. That's a huge percentage of people. Even if you yeah. think about the town that you live in, yeah. that's a huge amount of people you know, we can look at the whys, but how do we stop people from getting to that point? Well, I, I loved, do you know what? I really loved, and if you're a business owner and you listen to this, I I, I honestly loved this because a friend of mine who, who owns his own business, where they were given a, a direction from a from a mental health resource that uh, work with businesses to, you know, help if your employee is dealing with mental health issue, what you should do, how you approach the situation. And one of the new things that they put in place, which I think is fantastic, if an employee came up to them and said, you know, I'm struggling with my mental health, I might need to take time off. The first question now that they're saying you should ask that person is, have you thought about killing yourself? Wow. Do you question whether or not you should still be here? But by saying those words, you are instantly disarming the worst case scenario. Yeah. And also you're saying it out loud. And for that person, it might be the first time they've ever heard that out loud. They might have had that thought for so many years but for you to say it, and then all of a sudden they have this realization of, actually, no, I'm not. Hmm. You know, you've made it a reality for that person without, you know, if we skirt around it, the fact of the matter is, what are we ultimately trying to do? Stop people killing themselves. Yeah. Like, it's a normal thing. People have been doing it for centuries. As you say, one in five. It's like, you know, at what point do we kind of go, actually, this is, you know, it's pretty common. Yeah. Like, like we should be open about talking about it you know if you're worried about someone and you know i say it to parents as well you know it's a question for kids it's a question it is like well especially with the world they're growing up in and like social media yeah. and how they can find out about stuff more easily i think it we need to have this conversation yeah definitely and I, look you you see it through time right and, and my mum always brought up this point to me and, you know, she brought it up like, almost after I did the doc. And, and she was just like, you know, I find it fascinating. I'm like, what? And she goes, she goes in the 80s, I went through this. And she was, she was like, what do you mean? And I said, she goes, in the 80s, 80s and early 90s, no one wanted to say the word AIDS. Yeah. It was, you know, quiet. You, you kind of say it almost like a swear word again. You kind of go, oh, he's got, you know, that. And... And then it kind of got to this point where there was enough said about it and it became enough of a word that you can use. You know, now there's incredible things put in place to, to try and help people that are HIV positive, uh, you know, or have AIDS. 
and and that can then moved on. Then in the nineties, moving still into the the early noughties, you had uh, the big C. That was what people used to say for cancer. Yeah. Like now, look at the the awareness of cancer. You know, look at the awareness of you know the the amazing things that doctors are doing out there to help people with cancer. But you've got to say it and see it yeah. to help yeah. and to do but, something. But again, it's that same thing that I feel. Yeah. I, honestly, like. I feel like when someone goes to say the word suicide to me, I can see them not want to say it. Mm. And and I think that, even just in that, can make a massive difference, you know, and understanding that this is a very normal thing that people kill themselves. And they think about it and that's 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 okay to think about it. You know, that's, that's what is weird for me to say is it is okay to think about it. You're not different to think about that. You know, it's a normal thing. You know, all you want to do is be able to evaluate, look at it if you feel like you need help to be able to understand that it's okay to get help and people are there to help you. And like you said a moment ago, you certainly alluded to it, in 2019, you mm. had this set of thoughts yourself. You yeah. had, you've been on medication since you were 15 for clinical depression yeah. and you, you have a tendency to self-sabotage and not take your medication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd been off it for a week yeah. and got to this point. So I know you've already said it was a very blurry time and yeah. you probably can't piece it all together, but... What was going around your head? How were you feeling in, in that moment on that day? Um, it's weird because I think a lot of it was, there was a lot of pressures as well going on in my life at that time. I was trying to buy a house. I was trying to sell my house. I was about to go and do I'm a Celebrity. I was dealing with contract negotiations with radio. A lot of stresses from like different angles. And then all it took was just one thing that tipped me over the edge, which which was looking at like a tax bill. And it was like, and I'm good with my money. Like, like you know, I've, I've always been very efficient and, you know, pay my taxes on time and all those types of things. But for some reason, that one thing just led me to just hit this point where I believe I had a full on breakdown. And from that, what I mean by a blur is that everything that you could reasonably you know, you, you have one conversation with someone, you say, oh, I'm a bit nervous about, you know, doing I'm a Celeb or I'm a bit nervous about selling my house. You know, after one conversation with a friend, that's just like, oh, you, you get through this. You, you know what I mean? You know, whatever, like you, you sell the house in the end, et cetera. It just takes a bit of time. But all of those things, it, it just snapped for me. And when I say it's a blur, I can't tell you, and I, this is what I heard again a lot from a lot of people that had attempted suicide and and hadn't done it incompleted suicide as they say you can't differentiate between what time that was and what time it was when it finished yeah i think it must have been about midday and i was like getting changed after work i think i just got out of the shower i was in my pants um i, I remember just all of a sudden i had a full-on panic attack i couldn't breathe heart rate's going up and at that point, it's like the gates had been opened in my head of worry. And everything that was not something I would worry about was something I was worrying about. It's like a severe case of, you know, like uh, when you get anxiety, mm. like the day after the day after you've had a big night out. Everything is awful. Everything is awful. Yeah. And it's like that, but dialed up a thousand percent. Yeah. And I just remember thinking at that point, I just remember crying and, and just sitting down and just thinking, oh, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. And I remember researching and seeing, okay, what time does that train come in? What time does that, do you know what I mean? How can I take my own life that's out the way of people, but it gets it done quick? You know, how, how, does it, how, how do I do that? You know, and I was only living down the road from the train station at the time. And I just remember thinking, oh, this is it. I, just, oh, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. And I'd had a few of those moments in my life. I'd had a few of those moments where I was like, can't breathe i feel like i'm do you know what i mean like I, I can't deal with it anymore how is this supposed to be life and granted it's a completely it, my brain had taken over at this point yeah this is i mean it's a normal thing to think but it's also not me yeah you know that's what's hard to explain to people it's not me it's 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 your brain is beating the shit out of you and in uh, those couple of hours my mum called me and then i remember all I can remember is I remember seeing my mum's name come on my phone and then I remember her pulling up to my house. That drive is about an hour. So in between that, 
she must have just kept me on the phone. And I know that my sister was in the car with her as well. Um, so Harley was, I think Harley was talking to me about other stuff. And you'd expressed a level of distress in this phone call, enough for her to think, I need to be my there My mum went straight away. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, she could hear, as soon as she picked up, I was crying. Like, mm. Do you know what I mean? And, and like, you know, and I don't know what I was saying, but, you know, she just knew. She knew something was serious. And, I, uh, you know, and she just did what every mum would do. Do you think she knew how serious it was? No. No, I don't think she did. I don't think she knew I wanted to kill myself. Uh, I, th- I think I think she she knew I was getting myself in a state. Um, I think she, you know, one of the things in in the documentary that I made was was having that f- conversation with her for the first time, yeah, and, and telling her that. And you know, it upsets me because you know, you know I think I like, how oh, could I do that? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you look back on it now, and you know, I'd never had that conversation out loud, you know, and and. And I look at what what's happened. I look at what Joe's done to his family, which is what he has done, you know, and 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 what he's done to them. And having that idea of that being my mum, you know, I stood at Joe's funeral and looking at his family, mm. and just it's everyone's nightmare. But unfortunately, that nightmare is so common. Yeah. And and yet it's a topic that still yet no one wants to talk about. So mm. again, it's just like I, I'm not even doing this for Joe, like. I know that kid well enough to know that him and I just take the mick out of each other all the time. So I'm doing this for his family, you know, and because I, I could not bear to think that I'd live something, I have a platform yeah, and I've not told anyone about it. That's what I, I couldn't deal with. Because prior to you losing Joe, had you kept your own mental struggles relatively small and private to you in terms of... You know, you've been diagnosed with clinical depression yeah. at a very young age. How mm. comfortable did you feel at that time with that diagnosis and then mm. entering this very strange career that, that we both sort of move around in? How, how did you feel about that? I mean, I was always quite open about it. Like, I, again, I was always quite open that I took antidepressants because I, I've always viewed it like I'm not necessarily sad about something. It's, you know, I wasn't placed on it because of that. I know there's a lot of like people that say chemical depression doesn't necessarily exist, but, which I find fascinating because I think everything's hormone based. And I yeah. think people's hormones act in certain ways. Me personally, I feel like mine can go up and down uh, again once a month. You know, uh, it's it's like some weird hormone imbalance that you can have that mean you're more susceptible to lower days and you know, I've always been very open about that. Even my my friend group, Joe was well aware. You know, Joe. Joe's someone that was well aware that I had been through heavy things, not to the point that I wanted to kill myself, but that I'd I'd had to go and see psychotherapists, therapists, and be on antidepressants. Very aware of that, but again, like that's why I you cannot I I oh you know suicide is spoken in in three ways and and it's uh, prevention, intervention, and postvention. I genuinely believe that unless that stats, those stats that we're talking about will not change, in my opinion, unless we as a country are active for people under the age of 16 to understand this topic. Yeah. And to understand what to do to normalise it in the under 16s in terms of by what I mean by that is then be able to have open conversations and an understanding of what depression is. That is the only way those things are going to change. That's the prevention side. Because intervention, we're all in that now. You are a professional wearing your mask. I am with mine. I'm having an open conversation with you, but I may be holding back the, oh, yeah. potentially I may be also feeling suicidal. Do you know what I mean? Like, Well, I think we're always holding back Something. All sorts of weird thoughts. Yeah. My head's always doing something weird. Exactly. Sort of exactly. Going off on a weird tangent, but going, focus, focus on the conversation. And yeah. then there's something else that's coming up. Exactly. It's constant, and we're all doing it. Exactly. All the time. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. 
Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I know, obviously, from doing the documentary and the book, you've done a hell of a lot of research and talked to some very interesting people, mm. one of them being Rory O'Connor, who yeah. features at the end of this book quite heavily in sort of looking at his research. Yeah. And what I found very interesting is that he, and I think this goes across the board when we're talking about mental health, is he said... Obviously, depression is a risk factor when we look at suicide, yeah. but depressed people rarely end up killing themselves. Yeah. And I I was sort of knocked for six with that one. Like, okay, so what is going on here? I know that's what his <laughs> that's his whole research yeah. sort of thesis is looking at that. Why why is that? What are the other factors causing people to kill themselves? Well, that's it, you know, and and speaking to Rory about it, it you know, I couldn't believe it. Like when, yeah. when you know, and he was like, he was like, yeah, 70% of people that end up taking their own life don't even accept that mental health is even a thing or exists. So therefore they're not classified as a depressed person because no. they're not on antidepressants. They're not, do you know what I mean? And that's why I'm saying this whole ideology of what we think a suicidal person looks like is wrong. Yeah. Like it's wrong. It's not someone that is crying all the time. It's not someone that is depressed or says they're tired. Do you know what I mean? All this, all these things, this, this picture that people draw of a suicidal person isn't this person looking sad. No. It's these people looking happy. And and because what's happening is these people, and specifically men, are killing themselves because they don't feel like they're where they should be in their life. Not because of depression, not because of anxiety. And it's societal pressure. Not because their parents have the their, their parents abandoned them and do you know what I mean? All these reasons why people believe that people kill themselves. Not because they've lost the kids and the wife. It's because of weird things like that, of, yeah. of weird things like societal pressures. And when that moment clicks... It's a snap moment. Yeah. And when that moment clicks, they don't have the tools to understand what is going on. And therefore, they think their only way out is to press reset. I always, I always describe it like, like obviously, I you know, grew up playing FIFA as a kid. And it, people do this thing called rage quitting, right? When you're losing a game of FIFA, like you're 4-0 down. <laughs> Say, oh, fuck this. Like, but <laughs> just vanish. Quit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Turn the machine off. Yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah. Like it's it's that simple. Mm. It, it's like, nah. The only thing that the only link that, that people could even say is, yeah, it's people that are more prone to be impulsive. Yeah. And and that people that don't feel like they are where they are want to be in their life. So th this is not a case of how can we make sure everyone's feeling happy? It's just not that, which no. I think has been the general consensus. Like, how do we lift depression or how do we get people to feel just a general sense of joy in their everyday lives this goes one level deeper it's somebody could be feeling like quite happy one day you know obviously yeah. this is a conversation about happiness as well in terms of what happiness is and us getting that completely wrong yeah. we think happiness yeah. is this blanket coverage thing that that lasts forever or if you get the job or the partner or whatever then you're happy yeah and it's not that because we could be feeling completely happy in one moment and an hour later everything gets on top of you because of circumstantial things yeah. and like you've just said these societal pressures which affect everybody but perhaps there there are less there's less space for men to say I don't feel like I can live up to this archetype of a man that's meant yeah. to be at this place in his life. And and they certainly don't feel it's okay to talk about that yeah. and to say, I don't feel like I'm where I should be in terms of whatever it is, career, you know, lifestyle, and how we're imbibing all this information about mm -hmm. what your best mate's doing, what your neighbor's doing, what someone on the other side of the planet's doing, and you're not doing all of that. Yeah. You know, that is, that's explosive. 100%, and uh, you know, like, you know, when you look at the differences in terms of in terms of obviously with men and women, you know, I, I've grown up in a very female dominated household, and and you know, the jealousy that uh, you know I could see a lot of my friends would have that I would be so open with people like my mum and my sister is because I've been able to be around those types of women that you know, if my mum's friends going through something, she's the person that will you know speak to them, etc. And and I, th I find it always so fascinating. And what all those pressures that you're talking about there. Both men and women go through those things. You know, yeah. women go through horrendous pressures during their life. You know, whether that be uh, in work or society or anything like that. But you're very good emotionally, and and you know, it's something that men are jealous of, and and of course they are that they they have women. You have this ability to 
talk to one another and and you protect one another we don't we men don't they 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 have this thing of it's it's embarrassing to talk about that and etc but when i say it's embarrassing to talk about your feelings it's not necessarily about that it's embarrassing to talk about your job it's embarrassing to talk about how much money do you earn it's embarrassing to talk about do you have what you really want in life those are the things that you know it, it, that's why it's never as simple as yeah. as oh if you're sad talk because mm. it's not that simple because no. what what you deem as sad isn't isn't for someone else and it's like and then you worry there's going to be judgment oh how yeah. can i say that because we're told, someone else is doing worse than yeah, me yeah we're constantly told be grateful be grateful yeah. and you are and gratitude is an amazing thing and and being able to accept it on your own is something else right uh, but i think for instance with you know with joe if uh, again like every hollywood film ever made will lead you to believe that with every suicide is a suicide note it's not the case right it's very rare yeah. that the notes get left or anything gets left you know again because of headspace and the whole minute is a blur you know it wasn't necessarily planned but you know if it was it people just want to go yeah and joe never left a note nothing i will never know the true reason as to why he killed himself if I were to guess, I would say it's as simple as he didn't feel like where he was in his life was where he was meant to be. And that is, you know, I talk about that in the book and I, I say, like, that's a guilt that I'll forever hold. He, he, you know, you imagine there's someone that might be, you know, clearly worrying about like, you know, oh, should I have this house? Should I have this and this and this? And, you know, but yet here I am, who's this young guy who has come in and Joe's taught him everything. And all of a sudden, I'm on the side of the billboard. All of a sudden, I'm buying a house. All of a sudden, I've got the girlfriend. And he, is, was he looking at that going, that should be me? You know, and that's something that I understand. You know, I, 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 I'm come to terms with that. But again, that's his decision mm. to still do that. Mm. You know? I think that's, again, reading that bit of the book, I was like, it's brilliantly fucking honest. But because but I you think have most to be. people will sit, you know, I... I've not had anyone that close to me um, take their life, but yeah. certainly people I know. Yeah. And even with that distance, I've thought, what, did I? Yeah. Because that's, I think, the nature of death and shock that you go, yeah. should I have done more? Did I in any way contribute to that person's yeah. decision, misery? And it's probably a coping mechanism with death. I don't know. It's so complicated how it's grief, grief works. Yeah. But I think it's such a natural thing to go... Oh my god! Uh, what part did I play, or what didn't I do? Yeah. And it, and it's very hard to find acceptance in that. I think yeah. very hard. Like yeah. you know, I felt heartbroken that you wrote, "Be the hero your friends need," because I wasn't. To my, I found that hard yeah. to read because I thought, yeah, but it's true. Maybe you couldn't have done anything though. Maybe you couldn't have done anything. Maybe I believe I could know. have. That you never will know. But that's why I'm saying, don't don't leave that to chance. Yeah. There's no point leaving that to chance. Like I can promise you, I'd rather fall out of him ten times over than to have him dead. Like, do you know what I mean? You know, when I go, when I, I still now, like, you know, and it will never change. I, I, I go and see him. Um, you know, I go, I go to his, his grave, and and you know, he's in this beautiful bit of land. But I'm thinking, what the fuck? Yeah, of course, you <laughs> like, can't make uh, sense. I'm of like that. looking at it, going, what? Yeah. Like, has he dead? It's too surreal. Yeah, you can't weird. make sense of that. Yeah. And I know that you wrote a, a long letter to him after the two-year anniversary of yeah. his death because you felt a, a, a sort of a PTSD reaction to that anniversary coming up, which, again, I think is yeah. very normal that that day every year mm. is going to be so hard to deal with. Yeah. I, I, and the reason, like... Again, a massive... Do you know the weirdest thing, right, is, is the, the thing that I fear the most... Uh, and I feared the most, but then I thought, fuck it, I just, you know, got it. I, I did that was because I'm, I'm so scared of people looking at it like virtue signaling and people, I, I don't know. I, I think that like, I'm so, I was so worried in the beginning to be like, you know, here's a, celebra a celebrity or whatever, some Z-lister who's using his mate's death to to get famous. Like genuinely, that's like the things that you worry about. And and you think about that, and then I was like, things like you know when when the, a death comes around on Instagram and or like a, an anniversary thing, and you see all these people posting, and it's like it's like he's dead. Do you know what I mean? Like 
that's all I can think. Like, you know, when I see people posting about him and it's like, you know, writing the caption is all like as if it's to him. Yeah. It's never made sense to me personally. And in a way, what I wanted to show was that my the thing that I posted wasn't for him. This was, I'll show, if you're considering this, this is the reality of what people are doing. I sat today and wrote a letter to someone that is dead because I, I had to say something. And so that's what that was for for me, you know, and, and, it, it, and it's so... It's tough, like it's really tough, you know. And you wake up, and I, I, I have moments where I just all you do is you just miss, you miss, you miss them, and, and that's and that's grief, you know. That's grief, and and that's something that, that again, you know, going back to your earlier question, are you really okay? You learn mm. every day, and it's okay to say that, you know. It's it's okay. It goes back to that classic thing of saying it's okay to say you're not okay, but it's true, you know. It, it, understanding your own emotions, learning about your emotions, and I think owning them is is so important you know I, I think people have a fear of being depressed but sometimes it's okay to own the depression otherwise you can't bloody fix feel. it feel you can't feel you but don't you can't, understand if you're just ignoring it like what are you going to do sit in it forever like i certainly had that situation i i think it's really complicated because also when i was going through a very depressive period mm. i didn't know it was that i was just like everything's wrong yeah everything's wrong and everything's shit and it was actually, I had a very amazing moment where, much like, you know, how supportive your mum's been to you, I had a friend who I was working with at the time that said to me, do you know what, I can't hear you say this anymore because you're just repeating yourself again and again. Yeah. And we're going to go and see a doctor and I've booked the appointment and we're going together. Fantastic. Which I will never forget that she did that for me. That's it, perfect. It's yeah. like, I, I, and I can only hope that I've done anywhere near as much brilliant work as she's done because that's, she saved that's the fucking day. I know, but I know. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, like that is, that's exactly it. And, and it, it takes guts to do that. Yeah. It's a scary conversation but to this have. Is, but this is exactly what I'm saying. Your yeah. friend, your friend saw it before I did. Like She saw it before I fucking saw I'm it. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's that thing of like, I'm sorry, I don't care if I'm going to fall out with you. We're going. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like if you really love someone, you will do that. Yeah. So, you I mean, know, that lucky, it literally lucky makes people. me emotional thinking about it because, um, it's just wild that she was the person that did that. You know, she, mm. it's not someone that I've grown up with. It's just someone that I know well and who is just, I just respect her deeply. She literally features in every book of mine because that moment was yeah. pivotal. Not because it was like the start of me getting better. It was the moment I went, oh, this isn't everything's going wrong. This is my brain. Like there is something... Yep. that needs sorting out here. And I, my, my route was medication. I'm not on it now, but I, I was on medication because yeah. it was like something has to change here and you don't have the tools all the time because you've got a lot going on in your life and a kid and there was all sorts of drama going on. Everyone's different. It you know? was a really good decision. But I think I, if she hadn't have said that, I I had no idea I was depressed. I just thought everything in my life was utter dog shit. Yeah. And that I was meant to be navigating it gracefully. And I felt like I was failing at that. So even that was shit. And yeah. it actually took someone else to sort of question it. And then for the diagnosis, I don't think it has to be a diagnosis. I think there has to be your own awareness that, or, you know, I, I haven't had a depressive episode for, for a while, but anxiety, absolutely, I still deal with having panic attacks or whatever. Yeah. And again, putting a name to it, I at first thought I had something wrong with my heart. Yeah. I wouldn't have my heart fucking checked because I was like, there's something wrong with my body. Yeah. It's like, oh no, this is what a panic attack feels like. And then going, now I can talk to somebody about it. Then I can also look to what changes I might be able to make. It's not always possible. And also what tools I can have in place so that when it does happen, I'm not in this alone wondering what the hell's going on. So I think what you're doing is so important to just say it as it is. Yeah. Just put like simple language to these things. Yeah. You know, I think people are sometimes wary of labels like, oh, I don't I don't want a label. I don't want to give it a name. Mm. Give it a name and then yeah. work out how to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, but I think, you know, the, the, that main takeaway again is just, it's just being, you know, if you genuinely believe you're a good friend to someone, prove it. Mm. Like, uh, do you know what I mean? Like, because... <laughs> Let me tell you, the other side is much worse. Mm. The other side of, of standing there and look at their gravestone is horrendous. And I, if I had heard this chat, hopefully I would have said to my mates, you know, and the happiest person I knew, which was Joe. I'm yeah. going to do it. I'm going to do it later today because, again, 
I it's those people that are life and soul of the party. Yeah. They're, you know, the happy people. They're they're the one, they're the ones that, that they're so good at their mask, and it's and it's understanding, and that's why you know I'm so hopeful that you know at some point in the future they can see that, and I think with you know when it comes to when it comes to schools and things like that, like resources being in place, because what's happening is that like you know, and again, I, I'm not blaming schools because they don't have the money to to get someone in to teach them how to do yeah. it and to deal with it but there's always a place where we can start mm. do you know what i mean and and even if it's in you know to for us to be able to say that you know we're sitting here now and and less than 50 percent of schools in the uk have some form of outlet in terms of a therapist or a counselor that means it's over 50 percent that don't and it's like uh, one thing that is is so prevalent and and is so tough is that I hear a lot of people, parents, that I've certainly spoken to, that have had kids that have taken their own life. And when I say kids, I mean like nine years old, ten years old, happy kids, had children. Do you know what I mean? You know, and they've then gone and lied to their friends about how they've died, and that's because of this weird shame thing again yeah. you know this unacceptance un of of what's happened and then you have to think about all the friends in that school year you have to think about you know okay how is that going to affect them moving forward you know how is that trauma going to affect them you know i'm a nearly 30 year old man and mine has messed me up big time you know so i can only imagine how it would affect kids so i think that when people start realizing the reality of this isn't just men now you know i think i think it's under the, you know when you said that stat about under the age of 40 it's, it's men and boys yeah you know the problem with suicide is is children like it's that's that's where it needs to be stopped you know if you can get into people about you know before that age of 16 when they've made that conscious decision to open up as much as they possibly can you know five years old you know i, I went to a school in birmingham and they're a school that, that practice, um, you know, mental health at quite a high level with their pupils, almost like a test wow. run thing. And I had a five-year-old talk to me about what depression is. And it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Wow. Because I know for a fact that that five-year-old, you don't sit there and tell them this, but I know for a fact that that five-year-old at some point in their life will experience some form of depression. Mm-hmm. And they will go back to those things that they learned at school and go, this is normal to have. This is okay. I can do this. You're making me think that I need to really have this fucking chat with my kids because I skirt around it. And this, yeah. I do this for a living. Yeah. I don't do anything else. Yeah. I only talk about this shit. But I think I've had a fear. Oh, is it? Is it? Is it too young? How, what are they, how do they feel about that language? But you're literally changing my entire infrastructure <laughs> around how I think about this because... What am I scared of? Like, what yeah. am I actually scared of? I just need to have the chat and say, do you know what? There's some other words that, you know, you I haven't used. Even... Choose, yeah, exactly. You can choose your words, yeah, but it's yeah, still, but it's to still have understanding. That, yeah. that chat, I think, is so important because the thing that it doesn't even worry me, it scares me senseless, is that if we're talking about people taking their life, usually not due to depression, mm. usually due to expectations of themselves where they should be in life circumstance yeah. that scares me senseless because of how not only kids everybody today mm -hmm. views everybody else and getting these snippets on social media and i'm not again pointing things at social media it is yeah. benign in itself it's yeah. how we're using it yeah. but if young people are looking at all these other people famous or not but just people on on instagram tiktok wherever yeah and going, look at their life, it's amazing, I need that, I have to do that to feel, I don't think it's even happy, I think it's enough, worthy. Like what it's are we never gonna, enough. I know it's not. That doesn't end. No one knows yeah. that seemingly. Yeah, We're yeah, all yeah. caught in this trap of, oh, but then I'll feel okay when the next thing, mm. I get the next thing or the next thing or whatever it is. But that's why that terrifies me. Like, is that not only going to get worse because of that? Yeah, 100%, but, but that's why again, like in the book, like, you know, a person that that was big for me in understanding that is George Michael. Is, yeah. You know, George is someone that, you know, I've not put him in this book because I think, oh, it'll sell me some copies. I put him in there because genuinely I learned 
so much of an understanding of actually when you're that famous and you, you know there's someone that from the rest of the world they think oh, i've got everything yeah that doesn't mean that you're happy and and that quest for happiness doesn't end there and and you know then that throws up to me you know, what, you know in terms of fame like you know what what's our goal is it just trying to get more famous like, I know. Uh, I'd, uh, no. <laughs> no, I think you got, you know, for both of us, I think we're um, strangely fortunate that we've stumbled across something that feels like a, a purpose of sorts. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you won't do things for fun or sometimes just for money or whatever hey, it listen. might be. Like we've got mortgages to pay and yeah, whatever. Great but things to do. Yeah. And it's fun stuff to do. But I think, like you say, if, you're, if your sole um, vision is to become famous to solve your problems mm. or to even have great, great success. I think I've met tons of people that are at the top of their game that still feel like there's something missing. Yeah. They're not enough. They haven't filled that void, that hole. And like I thought it was very interesting you talking about George. He was obviously, by the way, your godfather. Yeah. So you had a very close relationship with him and you yeah. got to see firsthand from a very young age what and also with your parents like what does all this mean like being yeah. in the public eye and i think it's probably stood you in good stead seeing it very firsthand to not fall into those pitfalls yourself yeah. as someone that is incredibly young still yeah. doing a job at a very high level of exposure to not expect that that's going to make you feel any different within yeah well, I've thought, but also i think you know like i'm super lucky that you know not just george my mum my and my dad like uh, more than anything i'm so so lucky i feel like i won the lottery with my parents all the time you know and and i want my kids to feel like that with with me and whoever their mum is you know i i just feel like you know the the best thing that my dad ever said to me and and he's so right is always he gave me the example of they played live aid and spandau were playing live aid and they didn't even enjoy it because they were so obsessed with, we have to be able to play the new song and get it out there. And after that, have people listened to it, have people enjoyed it? And that fear for me of missing those moments is big, you know, like, and, and being able to step back and go, actually, you know, and that's where I changed my thought process in terms of, I, I, I never, they will never answer a question of this on what you know what do you want in the next five years i'd rather look back and say oh, you know last five years i've achieved this 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 is so nice like to to be able to to look back and say that so i think it's enjoying you know those moments that you can enjoy for fame and not thinking well i must get more famous from this i must i must go and do this because realistically that's not you know it might be happiness for some people and and that's great you know if i they, doubt it ever but if it is, sides. but but if it is, that's yeah. that's what it is for them. But like, look at someone like you know. I am fascinated with the Kardashians in yeah. terms of right. We can all quantify fame now, which is the other weird thing. Before we had a rough guess, like oh yeah, George Michael, he's super famous. But now we go, who's got more followers? Yeah, you can quantify the happiness quite literally and do a chart yeah. of who's the most famous. And they're at the fucking top, yeah. and they've got I don't know how many millions of Instagram followers. But you watch the show, they're bloody miserable. They're always mm. crying. There's a massive drama going on. Yeah. They're in tears. They're stressed out. But that's because they're human beings first. It, exactly. Yeah. But we yeah. know this equation doesn't work. But we're still weirdly on a sort of subliminal level going. Yeah. But if I, but just if I got that promotion, or just if a few more people respected me, or if I could just get that work to the next level, we think it's going to feel that. Yeah. thing you know and that's what worries me going forward when looking at very specifically mental health and hopefully not ending in suicide yeah. how people are still looking at that infrastructure and what it means and, and believing that they might feel better because of it. I, I mean I fall into that trap I'm not talking about yeah. this as a spectator yeah. I often go oh god like there was a period where I I don't do telly anymore, but I was offered zero TV work. Uh. I felt like shit about it, like totally insecure. Uh. Must be something wrong with me. I must be completely weird. People don't like me. And I thought if I just got a really big show, then I'd feel okay. I'd feel wanted, accepted that I was worthy of something. I yeah. don't hold those beliefs anymore. But for years, I was stuck in that, that yeah. I put all of my self-worth in the hands of other people. And I, and I really 
try and not go to that place now, but I still get dragged into it. Like, oh God, you know, maybe what I'm doing isn't that worthwhile and, you know, mm. question my own self-worth. And I think that's what we're dealing with on this huge level. And I just, I hate that for people, that that's their, their foundation of what is okay is based in comparison. Yeah, but that's why the most important people that you have around you in those situations are friends. Absolutely. And that's why when I was, again, when I was making the documentary, I say it in there, is, is I realised I wasn't making a documentary about suicide. I was making a documentary about friendship. Yeah. You know, because friends are there to to, to level you out. You know, I've, I've kept the same mates that I've had when since I was six years old to same. now. You know, and, and I, I'm insanely lucky that I can, you know, talk to my dad in a way that I would talk to, you know, a best friend. You know, I speak to my I spoke to my dad about it yesterday, and you know, we were having one of those chats, and I just like, you know, I said to him, I was like, I said, Do you know what, I'm scared of, and he was like, what? He goes, I said, I'm so scared that when I die, I'm gonna zoom out and go, fuck, I spent all my time trying to get people on this tiny part of the world to like me, and I don't care about that. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I, and he was like, he was like, you know, he was he was talking to me about it, and he just, you know, and he said, he goes, that's that's part of it, you know, and it's and it's that's part of the journey that you're on, and whether or not you want to experience that, he goes, because just because you know that's how you feel, or some people that might bring them comfort, you know, and and that's fine, you know, it's the same thing. I I said to him, I was like, you know, I go in and out of, you know, I must earn money for my kids, to my kids, you know. The only thing I need to give them is what I can teach them, not not mm. what I can give them. You know, and I remember I, I called my daddy again the other day and I said to him, I was like, I figured it out. You know, it's nothing to do with what I can buy them. It's it's all to do with what I can teach them. I don't care if I've got no money, all this type of stuff. And my dad my dad just honestly just said to me, he was like, Do you know what, right? It's a bit of both. Yeah. Like he goes, he goes, he goes, it's it is a bit of both. The reality is that. Mm. You know, and and he's right. Yeah. You know, like it's it can't be one or the other. And it is a bit of both. Well, I think it's and, all these existential questions like I certainly when I hit 40 was like ooh like first of all how did that happen like yeah. there's no way I can be in my 40s it's gone too quick secondly time's going really quickly like am I doing what I'm meant to be doing here not for the reasons of to succeed whatever but am I doing the right thing to ensure that I'm really experiencing life and yeah. that I'm not distracted because I yeah. think we all get so distracted all the time of course and I think again these sort of huge existential questions are so normal it's not like we're the yeah. only ones sat there going am I getting life right I think all of us are going is this what I'm meant to be doing but it's so fun to question them it's so like, fun and that's why I you know I never uh, I never shy away from those conversations and I'm always fascinated by those conversations you know and I, and I hope that the book sparks some of those but you know and I, and I talk about it in there with my relationship with fame like i I. Uh, happiness for me is 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 family and 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 that's what it always will be you know my biggest obsession is having a family my biggest fear in life is not being able to have kids you know what i mean like that that's a huge fear for me not am i gonna have enough money or am i gonna have enough you know whatever but it, it changes in everyone and I, and I think when it comes to my outlook now it's changed massively after what happened you know, and again, that's grief that can do that. And it's, and it's again, going back to that thing of every day, you learn something new. Mm. How do you know, if you're saying to a friend, like, are you really okay? Mm -hmm. How do you know whether the answer's authentic or not? I think I would worry that. You don't, you just have to keep asking. Yeah. Mm. You never will. How, how, how can you know? Yeah. If I asked you that over and over again, there might be still something that you can keep. And I'm pretty sure that you'd be very confident that you'd be able to keep that from me. Yeah. You would back yourself in terms of, I can I can hold that in. Mm. There'll be things that you won't want to say. Yeah. You know, like, um, it's always, that's how it is. That's why I say it's, it's about reprogramming and you can't reprogram until you go into kids. Mm. So. Roman, honestly, I'm so glad that we got to chat today and I've, I've loved this chat so much. And I, I hope like that us. everybody reads this book that you've not seen before. Um, <laughs> and, and I really do think that we all need to leave this chat and we need to just go and text someone or call someone or... Yeah, choose your three people. Choose your three people. Choose three people that you genuinely think are like, they have got everything. Uh, and they're always happy. They're always this. Those three people, they're the ones you should be interested in.
That's not a guarantee, by the way. That is just literally just like, I think you'd be surprised. I do, because you know what? When I was going through a really rough patch, most of my friends who I love, and this is no judgment on them, didn't check in with me because I think they absolutely assumed, like, she's a very robust person. Mm. She'll breeze through this situation. Like, she, she's going to be fine. And I don't think it was them being necessarily complacent. I think they just assumed my personality. Mm. There was one person, really unexpected, who I don't even know that well, that sent me a really heartfelt message where I was like, bloody hell, that really meant something, that person texted me. Like, mm. that really has boosted me and made me feel like I can get through this. So I think you're absolutely right. Text the people that you don't think yeah. have got anything going on particularly or that you th- you assume they're moving and navigating a situation well yeah. and just reach out. 100%. Thanks so much for having me. Well, look, there you go. Text your friend. Call your friend. Don't let it go. I mean, I'm definitely taking heed of that. I'm I'm texting people now weekly to check in and just to really try and find out if they are okay is so deeply important. Roman, I cannot thank you enough for that chat and for all of the work that you're doing. Roman's book, Are You Really Okay?, is out now. I will, of course, be back next week, so click that follow button, you beauties, if you haven't already on your podcast app of choice, so you always get new episodes of Happy Place on your feed as soon as they're available. Until next time, huge thanks again to Roman, to the producers of this episode, Anushka Tate and Sophie King at Rethink Audio, and to you lot. Oh, God, thank you for listening, you wonderful people. I'll speak soon. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com